Welcome back to Soul Warrior Podcast. Today I have on Kristen King. Say hello, hello Kristen. Hello. <laughs> Hi. So I'm so excited to hear about yourself and who are you? Who am I? I've been trying to figure that out for years, but I was listening to your podcast earlier today and um, I think you were talking to Haley and I was so enjoying your conversation. And I, the thing that I remember right this moment is you said you were 27 and I always say that 27 was the year I grew up. So that was the year I started to like figure it out, right? Um, but I'm, I'm 40 now and who I am is um, I am a life and business coach. I am a twin mom. I am a former and soon to be again Zumba instructor. Um, and I am really, really good at karaoke. Just That's actually FYI. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I live up in Leadville, which is not too, too far from you. Um, what is it like three hours yeah. to you maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, for those who are uninitiated, Leadville is America's highest incorporated city. We're at over 10,200 feet. And if you're like heading West from Denver, it's just two hours and straight up. That's, <laughs> that's basically how it works. <laughs> very cold, very snowy here. Definitely doing lots of shoveling the last couple of days. Oh my gosh. No kidding. <laughs> how much snow did you get? Um, you know, we actually didn't get that much. It was probably like six or eight inches all together, but it was blowing around so much. It was crazy. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. shook my house, the power went out and <laughs> that stuff infrequently happens here. So it was pretty surprising. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, it was cold. That's for sure. Like I work up in Cheyenne and it, it's usually like 30 degrees colder up there. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, there's no trees to block the wind. So it's just full force. Yeah. It's like a wind tunnel. We've, we've driven Mm -hmm. through there a couple times through that corridor. We have a friend who um, works at a brewery in Fort Collins, but I cannot for the life of me remember what it's called. But anyway, we, we tend to, you know, drive through there only when it's like horrifically snowy and windy. So that's Mm -hmm. my, like, exclusive experience with that area shaking the whole time you're like oh my gosh so you're a life coach yes how did you start doing that um it's well it took me like 15 years to be like an overnight success as a life coach um i have been doing coaching of some form since the early 2000s um when i when i first got out of college i started my own business while i was also working a full-time job and my business was very successful and i was able to leave my job after about 18 months and do it full-time and i started coaching other people who wanted to do the same thing in the same industry that i was in which was communications mm-hmm. and i had always been like very into like personal development i had studied education in college, although I later sidebar realized I don't actually like kids very much. And so I didn't want to be <laughs> a teacher. Um, so I bailed on that. But yeah, um, but I love teaching. I love training. I just prefer to do it with adults, I realized. And right. so, um, so it was just a very like natural thing for me to kind of get into supporting people with their own goals. And over time that evolved, I ended up going back to corporate, but I just loved coaching and supporting people so much that I got certified as a mental health and wellness facilitator. And I was doing like health and wellness coaching for a while. Um, you know, and then I started doing more, um, like mental health specific stuff and like life satisfaction stuff. And then it just sort of 
evolved from there. I didn't, I didn't actually know until a couple years ago that like life coach was a job. But as soon as I found out that that was like a real thing, not just like a meme or like, like there's not just the Tony Robbins version, there's like other versions. I was like, oh shit, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do on this planet. Oh my God, this, everything makes sense now. And so it kind of, it, it evolved over time. Um, but I've now been doing life coaching specifically and, and business coaching as well, full-time for about 14, 15 months. But I've mm-hmm. been sort of coaching continuously alongside the other stuff I was doing since like 2006. Wow. That's, yeah. That's dedication too. And it, it shows passion and that you love your job, honestly. Yeah. But yeah. I really do. Not- it's, it's just so much freaking fun. And like yeah. the best part is like, oh my gosh, I love your dog in the background. Yeah, they- <laughs> I'm easily distracted. Um, <laughs> the the best part is just like the look on people's faces when they hear for the first time that like there's actually nothing wrong with them and they're actually allowed to have and do and be all the things that they always wanted that they thought was for other people, not for them. Mm-hmm. And just like that, like realization of like the world uh-huh. opening up, like holy shit. If I could bottle that shit and just like spray it on everyone, I would. It's amazing. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. I love it. It's so easy to, to grow up in a, like I'm, I'm from a very small town and like my, my mom and dad, mechanic and teacher, my brother married a teacher. He's a mechanic, you know? So it's like that (laughs) small, that's all there is. And you can see, you can just feel it like that dissatisfaction you know, yeah. like, like, come on, there's more, you can be more, like you said, and there's more out there to life and experiences and. Yeah, totally. And like, and if you love those things, like you get to do them, you can totally, you know, be a mechanic, you can totally be a teacher and you don't have to go do other stuff just because right. other stuff exists, right? Like you right. just get to do your life your way. And right. there's, and, and like, there's no, there's actually no rules around that. We just think there, there are, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, um, I can never remember if it's the red pill or the blue pill, but it's like in the matrix when, you know, Keanu Reeves, Neo has the chance to, you know, take the pill and he, he takes it. Sorry for the spoilers guys. He takes it and then he can like see the matrix. Like once he sees the matrix and he sees that it's all made up, like he's not obligated to the rules and restrictions of this made up thing anymore. And that's how he can like dodge bullets and like run up buildings and how they can like bend the spoon. Cause there is no spoon. Like the, the awareness that this shit doesn't actually exist. And it's just this like weird social contract that we all sort of like grudgingly agreed to. Like it doesn't matter (laughs) when we see it, it's like, you can't unsee it. And yeah. then you don't, you don't have to do it like that anymore. Like you have options and like mm-hmm. so many of my clients will like, and myself too, like that's how this kind of ended up being my focus is they, they have this like little voice that's like whispering, like, is this it? Like, I thought there'd be more, isn't there more? Like there's more and like there is, and there like, is more. <laughs> know that to be true. Then like you get to go find it and see it and it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's so fun to just like I- inform people of the permission that they were born with. Right. Cause like, I can't give anybody permission, but myself, but like, it's inherent in all of us. Cause we exist mm-hmm. so that like you get to just have your life be how you want your life to be. Doesn't mean yeah. it's easy, but like you yeah. get to do that. It's amazing. And your slogan is like, 
I have two of them. <laughs> your, <laughs> your slogan is like, no fucks given. Like, yeah, do yeah. You. I am the, the give fewer fucks coach. So whether it's I love that. personal life, you're giving way too many fucks, work, business, career, you're giving too many fucks, parenting. Like I'm a big fan of zero fucks parenting. I have 11 year old twins. They just turned 11 yesterday as we're recording this, which is mm-hmm. insane. Um, but like you, you get to just get your fucks back from everything. And it yeah. is really a game changer when you have all of your, all of your fucks in hand, like those units of energy and attention and time, like those mm-hmm. are fucks. And like, we just, mm-hmm. they get away from us really easily. And I love to help people just like call them back in. So the only fucks you're giving are the ones you want to, to the shit you actually care about. Yeah. Where do you think that, that stigma, that societal you know, where do you think that came from? That oh, it's a it's a it's like a long answer and a short answer, right? Like there's so many places that it came from. It's like this whole like white puritanical patriarchy, toxic capitalism bullshit. Like that is the <laughs> yes. the core of it, if you yeah. ask me. Um, yeah. And I think that this is like pretty well documented. Um, I can only speak to my experience as like a privileged white woman in America, um, who, you know, has, I mean, like I've had shit, but I've also had immense privilege cause I'm a white woman in America. And like, I was able to go to college and I've, you know, always had food to eat and a place to live. And like, not everybody can say that. Um, but even despite all of that, like I still was steeped in this environment of all of these expectations of like a, what a good girl is supposed to be and like yeah. there's a lot of pressure for men like you got to be like a real man and like all this bullshit <laughs> but but like good girls are supposed to be quiet and convenient and compliant and codependent and pleasing and they're supposed to take care of everything for everybody else and mm-hmm. like you know you, you have to have the kids and they have to always look good and you got to have the house be clean and you better take care of your man because if you did it right you got a real man and apparently that means he's completely incompetent when it comes to like basic life skills. So that's your job, but also right. you're supposed to have a job and be really smart, but not too smart. And like, don't be a pushover, but if you don't agree to everything, then you're not a good girl. So you're a bitch. And it's like all of this stuff. I think yeah. it was, um, Stephen, uh, Hinshaw, I think is the guy who wrote the book back in like the nineties or the early two thousands, triple bind about mm-hmm. the ways that we sort of like, trap our young girls in western culture that like they have to be pretty but they can't be slutty they have to be smart but they can't be too smart like they they got to do all of these things and like it's yeah. just it's like baked into the fabric of our society which is like mixing metaphors but you know what i mean right like and that's where it all comes from and there's real um like perceived danger there's like intellectual emotional danger and there's also some physical danger in not following those rules and so, you know, we're, we're trained from an early age to comply with that shit. And we don't, we don't know to question it because like fish don't know they're wet, right? Like it's all we've ever seen. So if you got to you got to take the pill so you can see the matrix and that Absolutely. becomes obvious, right? <laughs> One big thing I have noticed, I've grown to notice is that at a young age, like girls aren't allowed to be angry. Yeah. Like, anger is a real thing that, that women it's not um, attractive. I'm like, yeah. fuck you. I can be angry. Yeah. I, you know, sticking it's, up it's for yourself. It's so true. It's so true. And like women are really, the only acceptable emotion for men is anger. 
And the only unacceptable emotion for women is anger. (laughs) And it turns into this really like fucked up uh, cycle that we're all kind of trapped in because we, so many of us have so many emotions and there's nowhere to put them. And so, you know, like we turn them in on ourselves, we turn them out on other people and there's not like any kind of structure for us to deal with that stuff. And if we need a structure for it, which like literally everyone does, then people are like, oh, they're crazy. They're, they're losing it. They're irrational. Like all of these Mm -hmm. things. And I'm here to tell you Yeah. Like seriously. And like denying 98% of like the human experience is not normal. It's not healthy. Like the fact that people have a range of emotions is like how it's supposed to be. This is a feature, not a flaw, (laughs) but, but we act like it's a problem. And, and if like, if it's not like, oh my God, queen, good vibes only, (laughs) there's something wrong with us or something. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not normal. Like it's okay to be like that sometimes, but (laughs) you're you're too masculine if you get angry. Yeah, and that's like what? Like, how does that make me masculine? I still have anger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like I can still tell you how how I expect to be treated. You know, come on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and what you just said, how you expect to be treated. Like, so many people are like, you have boundaries. Like, yeah, how selfish, yeah. right? like, what do you mean? I can't talk to you like that yeah. or like call you 152 times at like 1130 at night. Like, you're such a bitch. How dare you say that that's not okay with you? Right. Because we're supposed to be compliant and convenient and quiet all the time. Ooh. And like, that goes against that. And like, I'm 100%. here to say like, no, be difficult and loud and take up way too much space. Be mad. Like do all of that shit because like, that's real. That's, that's how being a human being works. Have you heard of Mary Wollstonecraft? She's Mm -hmm. an early philosopher. Yes, I have. I have not read her stuff extensively, but she's on my list and I forget what I was just reading. Uh, Oh, I was just reading educated. I was actually listening to it as an audio book um, and it was fantastic. I was sick as a dog last week. I was in bed for like four days (laughs) and it wasn't COVID, but like it might as well have been, but I listened to educated during the time that I was sick and she, she had talked a lot about her and I'm like, I really got to bump her back up to like the top of my reading list. Yes. Because she, everything that you have talked about in the last 15 minutes is like literally the vindication of, of the rights of women is literally everything that she covers. It's like yeah. from, you know, back in the, the olden days or whatever, if you, if you, you know, rebelled against that standard housewife, you know, structure, then you were not a good woman. Like, yeah. what? How does you were like a hysterical that? woman. You were a harlot. Yeah. You were a witch. Yeah. Like yeah. all of this shit. And then we have these tropes, like you look at like Belle Watling in uh, Gone with the Wind and you have like the whore with a heart of gold and like, it's like all this like weird shit that kind of like crops up around that, that creates these very strange like archetypes in our culture. It's, it's really fascinating. It's weird. Like as women, I think it's, it's, you know, it's important that we change you know, the dynamic as women, but I think males as well, men have that role too. They need to change their mindset of how they think women should be. Yeah. 
I think that's absolutely true. And it's very interesting. Um, I was talking to someone about this a couple months ago, this idea of like, so we have the the sort of like heteronormative expectation. We have like the husband and we have the wife and yeah. regardless of whether you have kids or, you know, who's working and doing whatever, women do like a disproportionate share of the emotional labor, the household labor, the child rearing, the pet care, like whatever those things are compared to men. And that's just, that's just how it is. But what's really fascinating about it is that when people start to try to make a shift, when they start to try to create more equity in their relationships, even when you are a woman with a very willing partner who desires to do that, it can be very difficult for the the woman in that heteronormative situation to release control over those things and like let the partner do them because for so many years, generations and generations and generations, that's been the only place that we've actually had power, yeah. right? And like we would subversively manage our partners. We'd subversively manage our situation by being in control of those different pieces because it was one of the few places that society allowed us to mm -hmm. be in charge of something. So no matter how like evolved or modern or whatever word you want to use, you are, there's, this is still like in our DNA that giving that stuff up is super unsafe and it makes us weak. It makes us vulnerable because the, like historically has been the only domain that we've been allowed to have. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really, it's, it's not good for men or for women. And mm -hmm. it is a very difficult thing to shift. And that's like so much of my work with my clients because it's like, that shit is hard. It is hard work to like undo this generational programming and this like constant messages that we're getting even well-intended. I mean, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Absolutely. It's hard. It's hard also. Cause I mean, as women, we do have this natural um, instinct to, to care, you know, nurturing, mm -hmm. but it, it's really hard to differentiate between the societal expectation and that natural instinct. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because like, if you look at, if you, if you just take like a group of like two-year-olds or three-year-olds, mm -hmm. like, you know, little kids, um, and they're like, they're talking, but like, they're still pretty little. You'll see that like, they will by and large, all like respond empathetically in the same way. Like if a friend gets hurt or if they see like a puppy and it's like foot is stuck in a hole or something like that, yeah. like they'll respond with the same level of caring. But for the mm -hmm. girls, it's like reinforced as an expectation. And for the boys, it's like, you know, like, okay, like, well, man up, like the puppy is hurt. Let's not worry about the puppy's feelings. Let's get a shovel and like get the puppy out of the hole. Right. You know, it's like, it's a very different <laughs> way of responding to the behavior yeah. and um i do not i unfortunately do not know the like actual like citation for this but you can you guys can like google this um but they have done research that shows like the sort of age at which girls start to really internalize a lot of those messages and so if you look at kids at like the beginning of third grade or the end of second grade and you ask the kids like who's the fastest runner in the class almost every hand in the class will go up but by the end of third grade, only the boys raise their hands. And it's like we we see this stuff start to happen. And it, it's 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 horrifying, but it's also fascinating yeah. to watch because, like you said, there is this natural instinct, but we see it in all genders and identities before we train it into some and out of others. Yeah. Yeah. And right? then the men, a lot. As, as adults, we see 
men as more feminine when they mm-hmm. when they show their nurturing side. What? Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> and it's so it's so weird because like yeah. So I my husband and I have been married for eighteen years. We got married right out of college, so we've been married a long time. And one of the things that I most appreciated about him was um, his mom has has always described him as being like very tender hearted. And I have always appreciated that about him. It's one of his best qualities. Like when something is sad, he will cry. When something is happy, he will cry. When I run out of tampons, he will go buy them. And it's like not a big thing. Yes. Right? It's like, but, but that's looked down upon by so many men in this like sort of culture of like toxic masculinity, like don't touch anything that's pink because it might turn you gay or something like it's so weird yes. or like don't yeah. have an emotion or else like there's something wrong with you like, it's very mm-hmm. strange and then we wonder why so many men have like rage problems because that's the only emotion they're allowed to have and why so many of them are like deeply and unsupportedly depressed yes. because they're not allowed to have feelings or like yeah. reactions to shit or they get punished for it they, they think they're weak. They're normal. All yeah. those emotions are normal to express. Yeah. And they think that they're less than or weak because of it. And it's not, that's not how it should be at all. No, I completely agree. And it's, it's a really, um, it's a really fascinating phenomenon to watch. Like as I'm seeing it play out in my life, I have, as I mentioned, I have twins who just turned 11 yesterday. Um, they were both assigned male at birth. They're fraternal twins. And one of them, as soon as she could talk, told us she was actually a girl, not a boy. So I have one cisgender kid who identifies with the, the gender that he was assigned at birth. And I have one transgender kid who does not identify with the gender that she was assigned at birth. And then I have this like tender hearted male, uh, you know, figure in their yeah. home, you know, in their life, their father mm-hmm. and like seeing the ways that um, like even we respond to them with like their different gender identities and like the way other people respond to them with different gender identities. It's fascinating. Like my daughter said something shitty to a friend recently and I wanted to like strangle her. I wanted to kill her. I was like, I was enraged. I was like, how could you do that? I'm not raising a mean girl. You know, obviously I didn't like say this to her, but I had this like very, you know, I parented appropriately, but I had a very intense internal reaction to that. And one of my friends was like, do you think you would be responding the same way if it was your son? And I said, no, I wouldn't. Like, I would not. I would not Ah. be responding (laughs) to him the way I'm responding to her because I don't, even though like this is literally my full-time job, I do not have the same expectation of emotional intelligence in a 10-year-old boy that I do in a 10-year-old girl. Wow. That's and just, it's like, so it's bizarre. I did not yeah. enjoy that realization, by the way, in case you were wondering, <laughs> I did not like it. <laughs> I wish I could have put a fly on the wall for that Dude, conversation. <laughs> it sucked. It was not a fun conversation, but like we, we are just, we are so steeped in it. We are so steeped in it. And it is <laughs> like, you know, you can, you can be, um, anti-racist and like an ally and like super woke and like a social justice warrior and all this shit. And we still have grown up in the environment that we've grown up in and we've developed the like patterned reactions that we've developed. And that's why you have to be like actively anti-racist. You have to be actively anti-misogyny. You have to be actively anti-bigotry. 
because it's not just enough to say like, oh, I'm not that thing. You have to be constantly attending to it. Mm. it it's just, it, we're just bombarded all the time. And we do have these unconscious reflex reactions. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything that that happens other than that's just like how humans work, but it's just mm -hmm. so easy to fall into it if you're not constantly attending yeah. to it. Yeah. It's a lot of work, man. Yeah. It really is. I, I mean, like life's better with it, but it's still a lot of work. No, absolutely. And I wish more people were educated or, or had that mindset, um, like the generation before us, you know, and, and whoever raised them. And because like, I married at a young age, married a, a more tender hearted guy, but I was raised by a very, very like author authoritarian father. So it was like you, you know, very rough and tough, mm -hmm. no emotion. And so, yeah, even ra being raised by someone, it's like you have that voice and that's where that comes from of like, oh, that man's weak because he shows emotion or like, yep. And they're not, but because my father told me they were. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, so you, and that's the thing is like, so like when, when you're at the doctor's office and the doctor like hits your knee and your foot, jumps, ah, like yeah. that's just a reflex, right? That's just like a thing that happens. Yeah. But what, what you get control over is what happens next. Do you mm. like just let your foot jump and it drops back or do you like kick the doctor in the teeth? Ooh. Right. So like yeah. there's a difference and like you have the reaction, but then you pause and you respond. Yeah. And that's what makes us different from the programming that we had. Yeah. And we have to notice that we're having the reaction in order to pause and have a different response. Mm -hmm. And not everyone has like developed the skills to do that because no one even told them that was a thing, oh. right? Like they just had no, no idea. There's very few like bad people running around in the world, right. maybe like right. five, right? Like we're all like doing the best that we can and we're well-intended and like we think we're doing things the right way, but we just, we have these like blind spots because these aren't yeah. conversations that we have ever. I mean, other than today, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And like, how would you, like, I see it as, um, they're kind of like stopping in the moment and being mindful of, of your thoughts, but it also creates a sense of individualism or, or, or it's more of yourself. You let go of what other people condition you to think Yeah. and you're creating yeah. your own beliefs. And so do you coach on that at all or? I do. I do. One of the things that um, a lot of my clients struggle with when we first start working together is like hearing the inner yes and no, mm -hmm. because they are so used to like anticipating other people's needs and like trying to get ahead of that because that's for whatever reason, whatever situation, what they needed to do to like stay safe, to be taken care of, to be, you know, welcome included, whatever. Um, and so it's, it's a retraining process to start to listen for like the inside answer and not just give the expected outside answer. And one of the things that makes it particularly challenging is, is a lot of what we do when we're like sort of teaching kids about emotional intelligence. We're like, you know, teaching them to, you know, share or whatever. Um, it's like, we don't, we don't really have nuanced conversations with them on the whole about like what hurts other people's feelings, what hurts our feelings. And like, when it's okay to say, no, I'm not ready to share and stuff like that. Like we sort of are, are, we're really trained to like shut that stuff down. And then we're like punished for those natural reactions. And so I'm like constantly encouraging my clients to get mad, to argue with me, to have a real reaction to stuff and not be like, it's fine. I just, 
I just need to like get okay with it. I'm like, no, you don't have to get okay. It's with not it. fine. It's not fine. Don't be okay with things that are not okay. And they're like, but I, but I have to. I'm like, no, you actually don't. You can choose to. And if like this is something you want sincerely to be okay with, then we can work on that. But if it's not something you want to be okay with, then let's work on that. And it's, it is scary. It takes a lot of time. And like one of the things we do that's, I, I just, I see this so much and I'll even like hear it coming out of my own mouth and I have to like clap my hand over my mouth and stop myself. But like, we'll, we'll like teach little kids like, oh, he took your bucket. He hurt your feelings. It's like, no, he just took the bucket because he's two and he wanted the fucking bucket. He didn't do shit. He just took the bucket. <laughs> You yeah. hurt your feelings because you decided that meant that the bucket was gone forever and this person's not your friend and like all of this other stuff. Like mm-hmm. we all have very complex internal monologues and internal dialogues and reactions to things, but we like blame them on the outside world. Yep. And so we never get to develop that like inner voice of who we really are, like you were just talking about. And so, you know, most of my clients are learning it between like 25 and 65. Because right? yeah. they didn't get it from, you know, birth to 15 or whenever, like when you're technically supposed to be developing these things, like we don't do that here, here right. as in like on earth, we don't do that here. <laughs> how do you, like, how long does that take for someone, you know, one of your clients, um, how long approximately does it take to, to learn, to relearn, like reparent yourself? Mm, that's a good question. It It really varies. I mean, I've been working on it for like, I don't know, like 20 years. So, (laughs) Um, you know what I mean? Like it's, there's just these constant, it's like an infinite onion, like, right. Like there's always another layer to peel back and there's always like another level of mastery to reach. Um, I find that people typically like warm up to the idea that they're not going to die and they can actually do this within about three months, but it can take, I mean, it can take years to really, master it but they start seeing meaningful change in like three months by the time we hit six months together which is like my typical program length like they're seeing a lot of big stuff and I'll have some people who do like two three four five rounds with me because they just want to keep getting better and better at it and like kind of shifting their default reaction but usually I you know I'd say about like 90 days you can really start to see a shift and you've given yourself enough space to like be willing to try it out and kind of test it and like fuck around and find out and like see what happens. And like, (laughs) that's like my, my like main philosophy for business and life is that like fuck around and find out is a legitimate strategy, but we have never been allowed to do that because we had to be perfect. We'd be good girls. We had to get it right the first time, every time, all of that shit. So there's, there's a lot to like peel back before we can even listen to the yes and no, because we have to be willing to like fuck up sometimes. And yeah. like not be assholes to ourselves about it. Yeah. And that's that's a whole separate skill set too. I mean, there's just a lot of pieces. There's a lot of pieces. So I was reading on your website, you, you it, it kind of sounds like, you know, you kind of had that mentality of like doing things right the first time around, having everything, having the whole, you know, white picket fence life type of, you know, what I'm curious, like what happened to where you're just like, fuck this? There are so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many fuck this moments. Um, but I would say that the the biggest one, the one that actually had me leave my very lucrative job with a great company and I was like very good at it and could have retired from there 
was that I was I was walking past the top of the stairs right outside that door. This is my home office that we're in right now. Um, and I like kind of paused at the top of the stairs on my way to on my way to work, on my way into this room to sit down at my desk for my corporate job. And um, I had this thought that I was like, wouldn't it be nice if I just like fell down the stairs and died in a freak accident? I didn't have to do this anymore. God, that sounds amazing. And then I was like, that's not normal. That is not that is not good. That is not What's a good thing. Yeah. Like what the fuck? Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm a person who's lived with suicidal ideation my whole life. Like I've just, I don't remember a time that I like didn't at least a couple times a day, like at least passively think about killing myself. And it used to like freak me out, but like it doesn't anymore. It's just sort of like a thing. I can that relate happens. To that. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, if you sneeze sometimes, that doesn't mean you're dying, but you know, no. it, but you know, it, it used to, you know, be very concerning, but there've only been like three times that actually scared me. And that was one of them. And I was like, it seems better to die in a freak stare accident than to keep living the way that I'm living. And that means that something needs to change and it needs to change right the fuck now. Yes. And that was the Thursday before Labor Day of 2021. And I texted my husband and was like, we need to talk when you get home tonight. And so we sat down and had a conversation. I was like, look, this is what happened. And I'm not willing to live like this for one more second. I'm not doing this anymore. So I don't know what plan we need to make, but we need to make a plan because when we get back from the holiday, I need to put in my notice. I can't do this anymore. And he was like, okay, like whatever awesome. we need to do, let's do it. Um, so like that moment, the realization that I was like living on my knees, that I was making yeah. myself small to fit into, to be fair, boxes that I created for myself. Nobody at my job like shoved me into a box. I shoved myself into a box and then I blamed them for it. Right. So like that was, and you know, every time I like record one of these and I talk about this, I'm like, God, someone else is going to listen to this. They're going to hear it for the first time. They're going to be like, Kristen blamed me for her box all those years. <laughs> Institution, you guys. Yes. <laughs> Y'all amazing. Um, but I, I really, I was like, I, I had all these rules for myself about how to be a good employee, what being professional looked like, um, you know, how I had to pay my dues, like all of this other bullshit. And it was causing me to spend more energy making myself small than I was actually using to like do my job that I was very good at. And I, I just needed something that I felt like I could bring more of myself to. And that was, that was mine. Like I, I loved entrepreneurship the first time around. I took a corporate job out of fear because I was like, oh God, I have to be a responsible adult. I need like health insurance and paid vacation and all of the shit if I'm going to have kids and blah, 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 blah. But then I kept it for a really long time, like beyond where I started to have a yearning for something else, also out of fear. And fear makes us do things that we think we don't have a choice about, yeah. but we actually yeah. do. And when I realized that I didn't want to do that anymore, that was like the epic, like, fuck this moment. And I went in the Tuesday after the Labor Day weekend and I had a meeting with my boss first thing that morning already. And we sat down and he had an agenda and I was like, I have an agenda too. I need to go first. I'm putting in my notice. And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like it. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, um, okay, well, I don't have an agenda anymore. What? Like, <laughs> but it was like the moment the words came out of my mouth, the, um, the relief that I felt was just massive. And I just, I knew as soon as I had made the decision, it was massive relief, but I was dreading the conversation because mm -hmm. I, I loved my boss. I still love my boss. Like he's an incredible human. I will 
forever be grateful for him and his support and his mentorship and his friendship. You know, like we, we recently had a zoom catch up and like my face hurt because I was smiling so hard. Cause like, we just had such a nice time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I really, like I sincerely love him and it was so hard to, to tell him that, but it was just so right. It was so right. And everyone was like so supportive. And, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, we knew it was just a matter of time. Like we knew you were going to go back to, you know, entrepreneurship. Like it, you know, I didn't, I didn't like need the outside validation, but it showed me how much I had been not telling myself the truth that when I told someone else the truth, like the, the response was so huge. Cause everyone knew it was true. Yeah. You know? And like, that was <laughs> yeah. like, that was like the big the big like fuck this and also like fuck yeah moment like yes this is actually happening because like I I, I was I, the way that I have described it in the past is that like when I was sort of forcing myself to be small in these ways that I had imposed it felt like I was being slowly crushed to death and then when I like went out to did my to do my own thing it felt like I was being like burned alive but like I like if you're gonna die either way I'd rather like go down in flames <laughs> Like, let's go out with a bang, right? Like, (laughs) you know, and it's just like, I'd rather, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. And like, I spent so much time living on my knees because I told myself I wasn't allowed to stand up. Yeah. And how do you want to spend your time? Because this is your life. And like, you get to dictate how you're spending that time. Exactly. Is it Mary Oliver? That's like, what are, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? And I'm like, this is not what I want to do with my no. wild and precious life. No. no. And like, I, I have a brother who died when he was 16. It was like a week after my 21st birthday. And I, I think of him all the time this year, um, this spring, it'll be 20 years, which is freaking oh, weird. Um, but I think about him all the time and it's like, he died at 16 and I'm alive at 40. And like, yeah. what the fuck am I doing with it? <laughs> Like, yeah. what the fuck am I doing with it? Like, why, why me still being here and not him? And like, what, like, what do I want my legacy to be? It's not yeah. shrinking myself to make other people comfortable. That's definitely not it. Yeah. It's not, it's not worth being unhappy in a job. It's not no. your life. It, it, you're not here to work for the rest of your life. And that's something that I'm big on is like, yeah. this is a man-made thing. Like yeah. we all need money somehow, but you know, you don't have to work in, in this corporate job that makes you miserable. Right. And like, it's like that, the, um, I forgot who said it, but like, you weren't born to just pay bills and die. No. Right. And like the no. quote about like, not like going, you know, all the, the mass of men go to the grave with the song still in them. And it's like, not yeah. my fucking watch. No. I'm not going to do that. And it's like, and I'm not going to let anyone else do that if that's not what they want for themselves. And the thing is, it doesn't mean that what you're leaving is bad. Like my job was amazing. It was awesome. I had an incredible team. I had an incredible boss. I had incredible mentors. We did incredible work. And on, on many levels, it was very satisfying. Like I am very proud of the work that I did there. I am very proud to say that I worked there. I still have, you know, very close relationships with a lot of the people there. Like they were my family for, you know, like a huge portion of my adult life. And it wasn't the thing that I meant to do, right? It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. Just like there's nothing wrong with being a teacher or a mechanic, but that wasn't the thing that I was meant to do. Right. And trying to do that, like it, mm-hmm. I was good at it, but it wasn't the thing. And at some point, like your soul just can't 
tolerate that anymore. And you have to answer the call of your soul or you just, you're just like a zombie. You're like a, you're walking dead, man. Like it's just, that's not a way to live. And it doesn't mean there's anything fundamentally wrong with what you're doing. It's just not the thing for you. And that's what I think a lot of people are afraid of is that it'll mean that they wasted their time or that they, you know, they'll make it mean they've done something wrong if they start doing something different. And like, it's not about that at all. It's just about like the next level of how you say yes to yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's what a big thing is money and how you look at money. And I've really changed my perspective on on money. And and I think that plays a role in jobs and um, how much you value jobs and, you know, the importance of what are we doing here? Is, is yeah. having a huge retirement really, I mean, some people value it, some people don't. Um, but I'm looking at it differently. I'm like, I spent six months unemployed and I was so bored out of my mind. I'm like thinking about saving up and working my ass off until I'm 65, just to sit on my ass. I could not, you know, so you just think about things differently. You know, we're always going to be doing something, do things that you enjoy. Yeah. I totally agree. It's it's interesting. I like, I feel like I'm, and I know a lot of people like this. Like I'm like, I think I'm constitutionally incapable of retiring. Like I don't see myself ever retiring. And particularly from what I'm doing now, I mean, like I do this shit for free because it's so much fun and it's so fulfilling. I mean, like it's what I was doing anyway. Right. Like I might as well like make a career of it. Like, I don't, I'm sure that it's going to evolve over time. I mean, I've only been doing it full time for a little over a year and it's already evolved, but you know, I don't, I don't really see myself like not doing this. And at the same time, like I couldn't see myself not doing what I was doing before because I was afraid about money. Like I had a lot of fears about money and like, I, I, I always grew up like secure in my housing and that there'd be food on the table and that sort of thing. But like, we didn't, we didn't have extra, like we didn't frequently get new clothes. We had hand-me-downs. Like my, my dad, um, worked as a a public servant in addition to running his own business because being a, he was like the mayor and he was on, you know, zoning board or whatever, because it came with health benefits, right. Cause we couldn't like afford them otherwise. So, you know, I, I was safe in a relatively stable environment, but we didn't have a lot of money and like money was for other people wanting things was for other people and like the most important thing i could do would be to like go to college get a good education and then like get a secure stable job so i would always have money because like <laughs> we didn't know like what would happen otherwise right yep. and it's yep. interesting cuz you know both of my parents are entrepreneurs both of um my mom's well, my mom's mom and stepdad were entrepreneurs. They had a very successful car dealership for like my entire life and my mom's entire life, I guess. Um, and her her dad and stepmom worked worked in like more traditional jobs. But like on both sides of my family, like entrepreneurship is like in our DNA. But the message that I got was like, you need a secure job where someone else gives you a paycheck, right? But like I at the same time that I believe I'm like incapable of retiring, I also believe that I'm like completely unemployable now because like the idea of doing like the same thing every day for someone else to hand me a paycheck, like I just, that's, that's the living on my knees part again. And like no shade to anyone who that that's like, that works for them. It just didn't work for me, but I wasn't willing to tell myself the truth about that for a really long time. Absolutely. I remember I, I, I hated school. So I, I actually dropped out of school my senior year 
And I remember calling my mom and being like, I hate this, crying, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, well, we all hate our jobs. That's just what you do. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's well, not. Because she really believes it. She's yeah. just trying to make you feel better, right? Because, yeah. oh, honey, this is just how it is for all of us. And the sooner That's you accept life. that, the less you're going to suffer. But it's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. supposed to feel like that. <laughs> That's exactly. It's such a hard. Um, yeah. It's so hard because having the the mindset like that to break free, and then yeah. there's people yeah. that are surrounding you that are still going in that, you know. And how do you, how do you be okay with yourself breaking free from that stigma when everyone else is fine, you know, yeah. in it. It's it's like such a it's such a mind fuck. It really is. And the the visual I always get. You're, I hate that this is going to come out of my mouth, but I'm going to say it anyway. You're probably too young for this. But <laughs> <laughs> when I was a teenager, um, the, the band, the Aquabats was quite big. Are, do you, are you familiar with the Aquabats? Okay. So they're like a ska band and they were really big around the same time that They Might Be Giants was really big. Have you heard of them? Uh-uh. Okay. You need to Google no. them both. <laughs> So, okay, so they might be giants. You might know them from the song um, Istanbul. It's like Istanbul with Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah. Blah, blah. Uh-huh. So, kind of like pep- peppy, fun, energetic, educational songs. Um, and I'm not, I think the target audience for both of these bands was actually children, but I was like a teenager and I was very into them. And anyway, the Aquabats have a song um, that's called Lobster Bucket. And the whole song is about how like friends help each other and they're supposed to, you know, like when you're in a pit, your friend pulls you out of it and like all of this stuff. But the chorus is about how lobsters in a bucket can't climb out and you don't have to put a lid on a bucket of like live lobsters or live crabs or even like a pot where you're boiling them alive, which is barbaric, Um, you know, at least club them first and then cook them. But in any event, they can't get out. You don't need to put a lid on. Because if one of them gets up to the top and starts to pull itself out, the other lobsters will grab it and pull it back down. Wow. And the, so like you can find the, the Aquabat song Lobster Bucket on YouTube. I frequently share it with my clients um, and you can listen to it. It's a great song. Um, but in any event, you know, we're surrounded by these people who are part of the system. And in order for them to be able to continue operating in the confines of this system, they have to reinforce the rules, boundaries, and barriers of the system because that's what's necessary to like validate their own choices and experiences, right? And this is a huge part of why we see so much like girl-on-girl emotional violence and so much like mean girl shit because when we see other women being bad girls the way that we wish we could, we got to pull that lobster right back down in the bucket, man, because otherwise... Like, how the fuck do we keep staying in the good girl box that we've been put in, right? So, like, we have to make other people wrong in order to validate our own unsatisfying choices. And it's a very reasonable and logical strategy to maintain the status quo, but the problem is that it maintains the status quo. And, like, that's not fun for anyone. No. It's a lot of work and it's really hard. And I will see in myself, like the things that most infuriate me about other women are the things that they do that I wish I could. And I feel like yeah. I'm not allowed. So I'm like enraged that they're doing it. 
And I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm like, oh my God, is that why I was so mad at my daughter for that shitty thing she said? Because I think I'm not allowed to say shitty things and I want to, damn it. Yeah. Infinite <laughs> onion, so many layers, right? But like, where was I going with this? Oh, the th- things that I wish I could do that I think I'm not allowed to do or like stuff I used to do that I'm afraid I'm going to do again if I don't other it so hard that it like can't touch me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's a survival mechanism and it's, it's horrible because it has us survive in this life on our knees, but it allows us to survive it when we think we don't have another choice. And I, I relate that back to mental health, depression, anxiety, and loneliness for mm-hmm. me personally, I can relate to that, but yeah, you see everyone else, you, you try and veer off and do your own thing and, and separate from the norm. And it, it's like this, this is what everyone else is doing and you feel alone and you are kind of yeah. depressed. Like, yeah. man, I'm just a piece of shit. Like yeah. I'm doing, yeah. I'm living life wrong. Yeah. Cause you're pursuing happiness and you're, pers- you know, putting yourself first, but it's like everyone else is over here doing, you know, the normal thing. And yeah, it's just, I connect that to depression and can we wake up and, and, you know, make that more normal? Yeah. I heard this quote a million years ago. I don't know who it was from, but depression is anger turned inward. Yeah. Right. And like when we have all of these unfulfilled dreams, all of these desires that have nowhere to go because we're told from basically infancy that there's something wrong with them. Like, what are we supposed to do with that? We can't tell anybody because then they're going to know how fucked up we really are. So we got to keep that stuff to ourselves, but they're not going to invite us. Right. Yeah. Like we're not going to get invited. We're going to get kicked out. Like, you know, and, and to a certain extent, this is like biologically and evolutionarily appropriate, right? Like thousands of years ago, early man survival was like dependent on being like part of the tribe and being part of this community because there was safety in that. Right. And so when we individuate in these specific ways, it's very confronting. It's very, it feels very dangerous. And to a certain extent it is, but, but this, we don't talk about this conflict enough, right? This tension between wanting to be part of a whole and also wanting to, to do your own thing. And, and it's, it's not okay to talk about because then the other lobsters pull you back down so you swallow it and swallow it and swallow it and swallow it and it eats you alive. And and yeah. this is why like women in particular, men are, men are certainly not exempt from this toxic masculinity and these like patriarchal structures harm everyone, but it, it looks different in men than it does in women. And as a woman, I'll talk about my experience, right? But this is why like women are medicated at significantly higher levels than men. They receive mental health diagnoses at significantly higher levels than men. They receive inappropriate medical care at significantly higher levels than men. And if you are a, a woman of color, your your rates of these things I'm talking about are even higher than the general population, wow. right? Like if you t- if you look at the whole population of women, it's horrible. And if you pull out non-white women, it's even more horrible. Right. Because there's all of this implicit bias and like I'm, I've been on a tear recently about um, implicit bias and racial discrimination in yeah. uh, mental health and particularly mental health diagnoses. That's the whole other conversation we could do for like four hours. But in any event, like, you know, so <laughs> we see women who are, they're being diagnosed with mental health conditions. They're being medicated. They're being told stuff is all in their head. 
they have like, you know, autoimmune conditions and record numbers because their bodies are literally eating them because of all of the stuff that they're keeping inside. And I don't just mean ulcers. I mean, like, literally any kind of health condition can be exacerbated by these levels of stress. And when you pile on all of these expectations and all of these restrictions and requirements, like the only way for you to survive is to be like sick and weak because otherwise you're too strong and powerful and you can't function anymore. Right. So it's like, it's another way our body tries to protect us, but it's another way that like everything just gets fucked up and it reinforces this, this misery cycle. And it doesn't have to be like that. Right. How do you, you know, it seems like you kind of a long time ago kind of gave up giving a shit. So like how, I want to know how you started on that path. And like, you know, I know there's hard times. I know there's got to be like a roller coaster of like doubt, you know, here and there of like, is this right? Because of, of, you know, the feedback you get from others, which is a biological, that's normal, a normal mm-hmm. response too. Um, so I want to know like how you have freaking done it so long. Um, I really wish I could answer that because it's a fantastic <laughs> question, but I'm, I'm still not completely sure. I can tell you, I can tell you a couple things that helped. Um, one of the things that really helped is I am very stubborn. I am I am my mother's daughter and my father's daughter. Both of my parents are very stubborn. It is both like their best and worst qualities and it is my best and worst qualities. But I am like, when I, when I decide something, I'm like a dog with a bone and like, I'm going to do it because I said so. I'm going to do it because I said I was going to do it. Now, sometimes that can really get in my way. Like for instance, I stayed in, in my job longer than I wish I I had given myself permission to stay in my job. But it, you know, it was necessary for me to get to a point where I was like willing to take the leap. I felt confident in the leap. Like I, I used the time and it was all good for me, but I, I wish I had been able to do it a little bit earlier because I see like how much happier I am and like how much good I'm putting into the world and that sort of thing. But once I decided it was happening, it was like, it was like no other options were on the table. It was one of those kind of like burn the boats moments. And a lot of people talk about like, you know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to like burn the boats and be fully committed to your thing. And I, I'm not sure I agree with that advice, but (laughs) generally speaking, I don't because, you know, it'll have people like quitting their job when they have no source of income and their business is not Uh generating any. And I'm not a fan of that approach. Like some people, Mm -hmm. you know, it works for them. If that works for you, have at it. That didn't work for me. But once I decided I was leaving my job, I set up the systems and processes and safety nets and runway that I needed to feel comfortable and to know that like the ducks that I needed to get in a row were basically lined up close enough that I was able to go do the thing. And I didn't make not doing that an option, right? Like I've decided I'm going to do this. So here's what I'm going to do to ensure my success. And while I'm doing it, I am willing to go work at Starbucks and get health insurance. If I can't afford to buy it myself, I'm willing to clean houses. I'm willing to, you know, make sandwiches. I'm willing to clean overnight at the hotel in town. Like I'm willing to do these things because I'm not willing to be employed again in the, in a career that's different from the career that I'm creating for myself. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. It doesn't mean I'm going to like 
drive myself into the ground and like starve to death living in my car under a bridge somewhere because I was unwilling to, you know, find a way to make money until my business was supporting itself. And a lot of times that's what like burn the boats means. Like, don't, don't do that. But I was unwilling to say, can I do this? I was only willing to say, how can I do this? Right. And to answer that question. And so that, that stubbornness, I think has worked really well in my favor. It did the first time I created a business back then I was like too dumb to know that it was hard to do that. Right. Like that, that awareness, like kind of sunk in, I was sufficiently trained into like fearing entrepreneurship as something that was hard by the time I did it the second time. But the first time I was like too dumb to know it was hard. It was like, of course I'm going to start my business and be wildly successful. Oh, yeah. Because that yeah. was like the only option I gave myself, but I was like willing to do things in support of the dream that I had in support of the decision that I made. And I think the willingness to just do whatever it takes And sometimes what it takes is having the thing you want take a little bit longer because otherwise you run yourself into the ground to where you can't even enjoy it, right? Like I was willing to be kind to myself. I was willing to try things and see what happened. I was willing to, you know, ask for help if I needed it. Like I was willing to do these things. And I think that is what allowed me to do it. And I'm stubborn. So I was like, this is not negotiable. So I love that. Right. It's Does so that, easy like, to that answer your question. Yeah, Maybe? absolutely. Okay. It's so so easy to to start something and and have so much passion and drive, and then the moment that your expectations aren't met, it's you're filled with doubt and like, oh, I don't yeah. know if I could do this. Like, maybe I should just go get a job or like. Yeah. yeah. And like, and to be honest, like, I mean, I still have that come up. Like earlier this week, I sat down and I like filled out my little like spreadsheet thing and did like my financial projections for next year. And then I looked at it and then I started like hyperventilating and then I went downstairs and I was like, I need a hug. And my husband is like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I did the numbers for the first six months next year. And I think we're going to die. It's going to be all my fault. And he's like, what? And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I just need a hug. And then like the next time <laughs> I woke up and I was like, okay, nope, we're good. Everything's fine. You know, but like that that stuff still comes up and like we we had like kind of the worst case scenario a couple years ago when I was pregnant with my kids. I had, um, I have a, I have a lot of, uh, like weird chronic health conditions. I believe there's like some undiagnosed autoimmune stuff. Like I, I don't really know. I've been working on it for years, but in any event, when I was pregnant with my kids, I had a lot of, um, unusual complications and I ended up being on bed rest for my entire pregnancy. I was on disability. I was like completely unable to work or do anything other than like sort of not die for like an entire year. Oh um, man. And it was, it was awful. And I have never really been like the same since then. Like I have stuff that has never, um, has never gone away from that. But the, the big thing that happened as if that wasn't big enough is that um, because I was on disability and my husband couldn't really work because he had to take care of me and like, you know, finagle doctor's appointments and, and all this shit, um, we couldn't pay our bills. And we ended up having to go with bankruptcy and our house was foreclosed. And like, we didn't know where we were going to live. We thought we were going to be like living in our car with like three dogs, two cats and two babies. And like, we had no idea what was going to happen. And it was a lot. And like my, I had so much shame over that for so long. Like I had done something wrong and 
it was, you know, I was a bad girl and I had wanted, I'd flown too close to the sun and I got what I deserved and like all this like bullshit stuff, like all these stories that we tell about people. And it took me a long time to like come around from that. And so many of my fears, (coughs) excuse me, around money are sort of like, I don't want to go through that again. Right. And like, there was just so much shame around it. And I feel like so much better about it now. I wouldn't exactly say like, I'm grateful for it. Like, I'm not quite there. Like it sucks and it shouldn't happen, but it's like the system's fault that it happened. It wasn't my fault that it happened. Like I tried to, you know, like work with creditors and whatever, and they just didn't want to. And I'm like, I mean, like you guys are picking this. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have another option here because you're not willing to come up with one. So like, okay, we'll do it your way. That's fine. But like for so long, that felt like a personal failing. And now I don't, I don't see it that way at all. I see it as literally the way the system is set up. And that's why if you have one bankruptcy, statistically speaking, you are highly likely to have a second one because this, the system is set up that way. It's, it's a feature of the system. So when that happens, it's working perfectly. Right. But my nervous system hasn't fully gotten that message yet. So when money stuff comes up, my body and like my synapses and everything still react as though I have done something wrong. Something very bad is about to happen. I'm a bad girl and everything is my fault. And I have like a physical reaction to that, that I have to like short circuit in my brain and be like, okay, hang on a second. Hang on. Let's look at what's happening here. Is there a lion? Is there anything on fire? Is there like somebody wielding a knife or something like that? Or did we just hear something about money and our body freaked out? What's going on? Right. And I have to like interrupt that constantly. And it's better and better and better. It used to knock me out for a month. Now it's like a couple hours. Right. But like that's, that's part of the work, right? That's part of the reprogramming is that we catch these things when they happen. Mm -hmm. And then we say, okay, what's actually happening here? Yeah. And like so my, my clients will be like, when, when, like, when, when will this go away? And I'm like, I don't really know. I don't know if it ever goes away, but here's what I can tell you. You develop a different relationship with it and you learn a different way of relating to it. So when it does happen, it doesn't feel like this forever. It might happen forever, but it will not feel like this forever. You will get better at it. And I have, and it, just takes time. it still comes up. Yeah. It just takes time. It just takes time. I don't know if it will ever stop, but yeah. I know how to respond when it happens. You got to like develop that self-talk of like, it's okay. You're going to be yeah. okay. And like, it's yeah. so easy to be hard on yourself. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and the other thing is that like the self-talk, like it has to feel true. Yeah. Right. Like I'm a big yeah. fan of like affirmations. Like I have like post-its all over. I actually just yeah. cleared some off of my computer because I have so many and they're like, I stick them in like the insides of my notebooks that like sit right next to my desk here. But let me show you one that I still have because it's a reminder I need constantly. It says when I am in a freeze response, I can name it and meet myself with warmth and safety. And like I have this on my computer at my desk because this is where I look at like my financials. And when I look at my financials, my body often has a freeze response. And I get to say to myself, Hey, look what's happening. Everything's working properly. My brain's trying to help me and I'm okay right now. I have enough for today. 
those kinds of affirmations are really helpful. The ones that are like, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh darn it, people like me that like don't feel true right now are like not helpful. <laughs> like that is no, just not at all. No. gaslighting the shit out of yourself. When like <laughs> something is wrong, it's not useful to say everything is fine. It's not fine. It's more useful to say, okay, this is actually not fine. This is really uncomfortable and it's really scary and I don't like it. And I'm afraid X, Y, Z is going to happen. And it's not happening right now. Right now, I'm safe, even though I'm scared. Like that is a much more useful type of self-talk than everything's going to be just fine. Because it doesn't feel that way when it's happening. It does not feel just fine. And I think being, accepting your emotions is huge. Like, yeah, the way I'm feeling is that, that freeze response, sometimes you feel crazy, like the, it, you know, PTSD, you yeah. know, when it comes to not just financial stuff, but relationships or jobs or, or whatever it mm-hmm. is, you know, you yeah. have those responses come up and it's like, this is a normal response for what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> You're totally. not crazy. You're not crazy. And like, this is, but you might feel crazy, right? Like, yeah. not in it feels that's been, It's so uncomfortable. And like, and it, and it can be very subtle, even though it like affects every part of your life. And one of the things that I've been dealing with for about the last like year or so, it has started to creep up is my kids are now at the age that my, my youngest brother, the one who died was when he and I started to become very close when we started to have a really close relationship. And so that like where most of my memories of him that like are sort of like central to how I think about the relationship that he and I had before he died started right around the age that my kids are now. And they had a lot of um, personality characteristics and interests and, and sort of mannerisms and things that are very similar to him, even though he, he was gone, you know, long before they were even like a sparkle in my eye. Um, but this age has like sparked a, a round of trauma responses that I wasn't anticipating. Like Ooh. I have like, a new level of like fears about their safety. I have a new level of awareness of like how they're spending their time and like ways that they're behaving that kind of like freak me out and like a more intense desire to um, to like control things and like make things okay. And one of my, I was talking to one of my friends about this. She's a, she's a great source of support for me. She has a daughter who's a couple years older than my kids. And so when I'm like, why are they like this? I want to kill them. What is happening? She will remind me that this is all very normal. But I, um, (laughs) she was the one who I had the conversation with about whether I'd respond the same way to my, my son's behavior as I did to my daughter. Yes. Um, but you know, I was telling her like, why am I like suddenly this like crazy person who's like afraid of everything all the time. And she's like, didn't you tell me this was like when you and your brother first started to like really get close and like have a real relationship. And, and this is also the time that like your kids are like starting to be real people and you're having like a different relationship with them. Like, do you think that could be related? And I'm like, motherfucker. Yes. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> it's subconscious. Right? It's it's not in your conscious mind. You're not right. thinking about it, but yeah, it's there. Yeah. And like stuff like the, um, you know, like this, uh, this past October, October 27th was my last day, like in the office at my job. 
And I was like, my emotions were just real close to the surface for about two weeks leading up to that. And about a month after that. And that was the time period last year when I was just really grieving this change in my, in my career and my life so hard. And like the way the light comes through the window and the way the air smells and the kinds of foods that are in the grocery store like are the same as they were at that time. And like all of these things were giving my brain and my body the signal that that thing was happening again, right? Yeah. So it's like this stuff, it, it can sneak up on us and it can be so subtle and we don't even know it's happening. But the more we can just meet ourselves with compassion and not be assholes to ourselves about it and not <laughs> yeah. tell ourselves we're being ridiculous and nothing's wrong, but just say like, hey, what do we need right now? Yeah. The easier it is to navigate that stuff and not be stopped by it when it happens because it fucking happens all the time. Oh my God. It happens all the time. Things you don't even expect, like uh, triggers, triggers that, that yeah. come up that you're not even, I didn't even know that was a trigger. And like, oh my God, I'm yeah. feeling it. You know, you, you feel it in your chest and you're just, for me, I'm anxious. You know, I don't, other people yeah. freeze, yeah. other people run. Just, yeah. It totally. I was watching a movie the other day. Um, I don't even remember what it was. It was a comedy. And there was a scene in it where one of the characters was driving a car and the other character like ran in front of the car and like rolled across the hood. They were like practicing something. And my brother died in an accident that involved oh, a similar yeah. scenario. And I hadn't thought about it in a long time, but I saw this scene and for a moment, like, it felt like there was like a hand around my throat. And I was like, whoa, this is a weird reaction to a comedy. What's happening? And I realized it's because I, I saw what happened to my brother instead of the end of the actual scene in the movie. And so I yeah. had to like catch it and tell myself like, hey, like these are trained professionals. This is a different situation. And that one was a freak accident. So like, this is not something we need to be afraid of, but it's totally okay and makes complete sense that yeah. we want to pay attention to this and make sure everything's okay. What do we need right now? What I needed was mm -hmm. just to hug my kids and remind myself that everyone I care about is all right. And so I did. And then, you know, we just carried on. I don't even think my family knew it happened, but I knew it happened and it was oh, very yeah. unexpected. Right. And like that shit comes, you just never know. How did you you have a really great self-talk. It sounds like, you know, you're very self-aware and I try. <laughs> how, how did you learn or did, have you always had that or, or did you develop that? That's a good question. I, I think to some extent I have always had it. I've always had a pretty rich um, internal conversation going on. Um, part of it, I believe, is that I, I have ADHD and I'm also on the autism spectrum. And one of the ways that I uh, sort of learned to, to deal with some of the more challenging aspects of that and to like kind of mask a lot of that around other people was that I was just very attentive to things that were happening around me. Like I, I like see everything that's happening. And sometimes it can be very overwhelming, but I've always been like very aware of that. And I'm like constantly narrating for myself. 
right? And so some of that is like the sort of ADHD, like I see everything, I hear everything, like very like sensorily aware. I don't think that's a word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and like, I'm constantly sort of like anticipating places where like I might misstep or misread or whatever. So like some of it's like symptoms, but I prefer to think of it as like adaptations because it's ways that I sort of learned to develop habits that allowed me to be successful in a society of full of people whose brains mostly operate a little bit different from my brain. Right. So some of that was just like survival skills. And then I was able to flip them around a little bit and use them not just as survival skills, but as like thrival skills. And a lot of it was where that stubbornness came back in. Like people would tell me things that didn't quite sit right with me. And maybe I didn't feel safe to challenge them or to disagree or to disregard, but I would tell myself something different on the inside and say like, no, I'm not being ridiculous. Like you're being ridiculous because you're not fucking listening to me. And I have an excellent point. And like you being an idiot doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with me. Right. So I'd say like, you know, partly adaptations, partly um, I'm fueled by spite. Um, I love that. that. But like, particularly with um, mental health providers, I I I went to you know try to get some very targeted professional help after my brother died because that like all of my mental health symptoms have been kind of like simmering beneath the surface for most of my life. Like, came to a boil, and like I was like drinking way too much and like hardly eating and would like not sleep for weeks. I mean, it was like not. I was not doing well. And so I went in to go to, you know, see like a therapist and, you know, try some meds and stuff. And no one, no one ever asked what happened. They just, they just like told me what was wrong with me. And that never really sit well, sat well. And I got a bunch of diagnoses that were not actually appropriate diagnoses. Um, And I got a lot of drugs that really didn't work and made me feel a lot worse because they didn't actually have the thing that they were medicating me for because nobody factored in what had happened to me. And, um, and I kind of just, I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Like my goals for my life are not like rooted around being a compliant patient who can like maybe hold down an hourly job. Like I, there's nothing wrong for that. If, if, if that's the thing that you want, but that was not the thing that I wanted. And that was like the thing that they kept telling me was like in the, in the stars for me, because I have these horrible diagnoses and I need to have realistic expectations. I feel that. Right. I'm just like, fuck this. And so I, I like fired all of my providers and went and found like a peer support community that was empowering. And then I found, you know, professional and non-professional supports who actually gave a shit about me and my life experiences. And like, it really, you know, it was a very difficult situation that led me to develop a much higher level of trust in myself. But like, I was at the point where like the, the dire predictions they were giving me about like the kind of future I could expect. I was like, well, I might as well just like fucking kill myself because this is like terrible. And I was like, but let me just try one more thing. And the one more thing was a peer support group where people actually listened to me and introduced me to tools that were like based on what actually worked for me and not other people's opinions of what I should be doing. And like, that shit changed everything. And that was like the playground in which I developed a lot of these skills. So yeah. You just needed to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the person that I most needed to be heard by honestly was myself. 
because I had spent so much time like blowing myself off and minimizing my reactions because everyone around me was telling me I was crazy or ridiculous or whatever that I stopped hearing that voice. And the only way that I was, that I like got better, that I was able to enjoy my life again was to start listening to it. Right. And it's just taken years and years and years and years to, to get to the place that I'm at with it now. But I, you know, I can only imagine in another 20 years, like, where am I going to be? Like, who knows, but hopefully it keeps, keeps going the direction (laughs) it's going in. (laughs) I planned to be here 20 years ago. I'm not sure I would have said that. But now I plan to be here in another 20 years, you know? I love that. Yeah, that's healthy. And it's, you have hope for the future. And yeah, I don't know, everything that I am seeking, I'm see, I see in you, I see in that, you know, I think there's hope in that. Um, it's possible. It's possible to change your life. It's possible to be happy. It's possible to um, have a, a happy family and, and have health issues and, and not be stigmatized. And Yeah, totally. It is possible. And generally speaking, no one's going to hand it to you, but you get to get it for yourself. And this isn't like a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like shady bullshit. This is like, if you know you want something, you don't have to wait for permission to start moving toward it. And even if that's in your head, you say no, even if what comes out of your mouth is yes, when you want to say no. Even if you just let yourself hear the no in your own head, that's a step toward the thing that you want, right? Like there is no step that is too small and all of it makes the difference and all of it changes how you relate to yourself and what your life experience is. Just one little thing makes a difference. And it's the difference between feeling like the bottom is just constantly dropping out versus feeling like the road is like rising up to meet you. It's, a t- it's just a totally different experience of being in your own life. You have so much wisdom and it, it, it oh, all, you. I'm sure it didn't come easy. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't come easy, you know? Because and, and, I'm an old crone of 40. No, no, no you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but man, I just, I wish, like you said earlier, like, you know, I wish I had a spray bottle of that, you know, putting it on other people, spreading it out because we need more of that. We need more of, um, self-acceptance and self-love and, and more the ways than one. Yeah. You know, well, and here's the thing. I I can't actually bottle it and give you something to spray on people. (laughs) But what I can do is tell you that every person who like takes the permission that is inherent to their existence and lives their life just 1% less apologetically and 1% more authentically creates space for someone else to do the same thing. So even though you can't actually, I wish we could do like in the old days where they just like go around the neighborhood, like spraying DDT on everything. (laughs) If we could just spray like zero fucks on everything, like totally do it. But the next best thing is having conversations like this and then taking them into your life and not having it just be a conversation, but like, rolling it into your self-concept and to the way that you relate to yourself in the world. And every single person who does that creates more space for others to do it. They see you doing it and they're like, that's possible. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And one of the questions that I always ask people when they, um, you know, fill out the form and get on my calendar for us to work together 
um, you know, when we have that, that real time conversation, much like this one is I'll ask them like, what, why me? Like, what do I have that you want? Because you see something here and that's why yeah. you booked this call with me, not somebody else. What's the thing yeah. that I have that you want? Mm -hmm. And they, they want to give fewer fucks. They want to live with abandon. They want to be scared and do it anyway. They want to know how to be nice to themselves when they fuck up because they see me doing it and they see what my life is like and what my experience is like because I share it and they want that. Right. And it feels possible because I'm a real person who's doing it. And like, you get to be a real person who's also doing it. Yeah. There's no mask here. There's no mask. And I'm, I am so, um, I'm a big advocate for take off the fucking mask and be yourself Yeah, and tell it like it is and stop acting a certain way because to please others, because, you know, stop, you know, I cuss like a sailor too out in public and yeah. growing up that that wasn't okay. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm why should I alter who I am for other people? And that's how you should start looking at life. Like take off the mask and be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, this is such a cliche, but it's really true. Like there is only one you like yeah. you have those other people already. We don't yeah. need you to be like them. We've already got them. Yeah. What we don't have is you being like yeah. you. And exactly. one of my very dear friends and favorite mentors, Simone Soul, she is a, a business coach who has an incredible marketing program called um, Joyful Marketing. And I'm very happy to be one of her guest instructors on a fairly regular basis. She had this great quote in a, a clinic that she did. Um, it was a five-week clinic. It was called the Shame Clinic. And it was all about like unshaming yourself and your life experiences. And she had this amazing... <laughs> Um, psychologist guy who came in. I, I can't remember exactly what his title is. His name's David Bedrick. He's a fucking genius. And they did this shame clinic. And we were talking about like feedback and like what, what feedback really is, is not, it's not feedback. It's like criticism. It's complaints. And it may be very well intended, but the message of feedback is like, I don't like this thing about you. And I expect you to change it. Mm. And what she said in response to this concept was, I don't want you to be the version of you who likes me. I want you to be the version of you who is most you. And if you don't like me, that is okay. But this is who I am. So like, go find someone you like, because it's not me. And that's 100% okay, because I want you to be the you that is most you, not the you that likes me. And like, by extension... Like yeah. I get to be the me who is most me, not the me who you most like, right? Yes. Like, yeah. but I, I just, I will never forget when she said, I want you to be the version of you who is most you, not yeah. the one who likes me. And like this, I mean, this was like a month ago, two months ago. Like this was in, you know, re very recent history, but I'd never heard anyone say it like that. And I'm like, yeah, I get to be the version of me. That's most me. I don't have to be the version of me. That's most likable by these other no. people. I don't even fucking know. No, and people no, say to me all the shit. time, like, Kristen, I love your message. I just wish you didn't say fuck so much. And my response has always been, then you don't love my message. Because like, 
you might like the gist of it, but the message is give fewer fucks. The message is stop giving a fuck. Like that's the message. So if you don't like the word fuck, you don't like the message. Yes. Right? And that's okay. That's fine. That's why it's all over my website. That's why there's so many pictures of me and my marketing materials where I'm like giving the finger or yeah, exactly. I literally I got this off Amazon. I literally have a jar of fucks. For those who are listening on audio, it's a a glass jar about four inches tall. It's got, I don't know, like a two inch diameter and it is full of laser cut wooden. I love that. (laughs) Amazon, it was like 20 bucks. Um, Like that, that is a part of my message. And the whole point of saying it in that way, because I spent many years, I was actually, I was actually Jehovah's Witness for quite a long time, which is a whole other story. We're like, I didn't cuss at all. Like, I was never photographed with an alcoholic beverage. I yeah. only wore one piece bathing suit. Now uh-huh. I'm like, you know, slutting it up all over Europe, like, oh, no. sunbathing and shit. Like, my poor mother is going to have a heart attack. Um, <laughs> but, like, that's the whole point is that, like, I don't have to be nice. I don't have to be. I'm, I'm a fucking delight. And that's not because I don't say fuck. Part of it is that I do say fuck because who I am is a person who says fuck. Yeah. And if you don't like that, I'm not your person. And that's 100% yeah. okay because there's lots of people who don't do it. But I want you to know that like what you see is what you get. And that's why like my, my email list is the Zero Fucks Gazette. No one signs up on my email list and is surprised when there's profanity. Right? Like that's... Cause like, that's just, that's just part of it. And like, I know a lot of people who just, they, they say to me, I just wish I could say fuck. I just wish I, but they whisper it. They're like, I just wish I could say fuck the way that you do. And I'm like, let's try it now. Actually (laughs) say it again without whispering. They're like, I can't like, you can, do you want to? They're like, no, I'm like, okay, you don't want to right now. That's different from I can't. Yeah. Right. Like you can. And just because you can, doesn't mean you have to. But I choose to, and if you don't like it, don't hire me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's it's uh we're like I don't know made to feel like social chameleons, and yeah. I grew up being like that. You know, you I had family. Um, long story short, family that was very very poor, and family that was wealthy, and it was like social chameleon trying to adapt to those. You know, don't dress too nice to the poor family because you don't want them to mm-hmm. feel bad. What? Yeah. <laughs> or or dress up a lot, you know, do yourself up to go to the rich. What? Why yeah. can't we just be ourselves and just be like what we are? And like and it, up. it's it's not to say that you can't like put thought into your appearance or something or else you're being like fake. Like I fixed my hair before we got on today. I was like, hey, I should maybe like consider putting on like real pants because I'm still in pajamas and I'm going to go out later. So I might as well. Right. You know, like it's not, it's fine. Like I, re- I remember one time I asked my husband, cause I, even though I pay attention to stuff, like I, there's still a lot of like social rules that I feel like everyone else knows, but me. So I'll often ask people, I'll be like, I'm not sure like what's appropriate in this situation. Like what's the dress code? Like what should I wear? Like what's like five things that I could like talk to people about? Cause like, I have no idea like going into a lot of this stuff. Like I have a lot of, you know, self-awareness and I have a lot of like emotional intelligence when I'm like wearing the emotional intelligence hat. But the rest of the time I'm like fucking clueless. I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. So I like, one time I asked my husband, like, 
what do I wear? We were going to this like fancy dinner with these people that he worked with at that time. And he was like, something that shows a lot of cleavage. I want them to like you. (laughs) (laughs) Did you? Did you? And I did it with the the titties. It was because I'm a fucking delight. But you know, like (laughs) have fun with shit. Like we're not saying don't do that, but like you don't have to be 17 different people. Because here's the thing: every person who's ever met you or knows that you exist to you, like to them, you are a different person. To every single one of those people, there are many versions of you out in the world, as there are people who know that you exist. And like, they may have multiple versions of you. So the number could be even higher than that. So like you trying <laughs> to like put on a certain way of being is first yeah. of all, like redundant because they're going to have a different impression of you no matter yeah. what, than like what you think they should or whatever. Like, it's just, it's pointless. But secondly, like they don't, they don't get to know who you actually are and no. they don't get to then actually like you. Like I would much prefer, and this is like a thing I say to myself all the time when I start to get like freaked out, like maybe I should give more fucks. I don't know. Is like, I would (laughs) rather you hate me for who I actually am than like me for who I'm pretending to be. Yeah. Cause like, if you don't really show yourself to people and this doesn't mean you have to like walk around like naked all the time. Like you're allowed to like edit, but if (laughs) right? If you put up the barriers between yourself and other people, they never get to actually know you and love you. It's an expectation that, yeah. that they will, will have of you. This is who she is. This is who she is. And then you have a bad day and you show up and you're like, I'm not okay. And they, they don't understand what's happening because they know shown you this one. Who is this person? Lying yeah. all the time, right? Like, yeah. And again, yeah. it doesn't mean that like, you you have to tell everybody everything all the time but like you don't have to like pretend that things are different from how they actually are and i just i just um taught in my friend um tiffany chung's business activation academy the other night and we used the same example it's like i am i have a naked body under my clothes you have a naked body under your clothes neither of us is pretending like we don't have a naked body under our clothes and we are both choosing to wear clothing. That's yeah. editing. Censoring would be pretending like we didn't have a naked body under our clothes. Yeah. Right? Like that's just not telling the truth about what is. It doesn't mean you have to show it to everybody, but right. it means like we don't deny the reality that that thing exists. Right? Because the more we do that, the more work it is. And then you have to yeah. track of who you are to all these different people in all these different situations. And like, nobody's got time for that, man. That's just a full no, no. And life isn't rainbows and butterflies for anybody. No. Anybody. Shit is hard. Shit is hard. My, <laughs> yeah, one of the is. coaching schools that I'm certified by um, uses this concept. And I think it, I think it applies across many cultures, but I'm gonna like talk about it the way they talk about it is that life is 50, yeah. 50. Everything is 50, 50. And like the way that I think of it is like half the time it's awesome and half the time it feels like ass. And like, that's how it's supposed to be. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, and that's where we get the full range of human emotion. And this is why, like, I, you know, I did a couple of years ago, I guess it was, it must've been like 18 months ago at this point. I'll have to send it to you next time it comes around. You can add it to the show notes and in retroactive 
editing. Um, but I, I had a, a really rough day and I was literally crying in the bathtub eating Pop-Tarts because that's what I felt like I needed. And I took a selfie and I wrote a Facebook post that was sort of like in the style of one of those um, medication commercials that was like, does your whole life suck balls? Are you tired of being completely miserable? Take this pill so you can pretend like you're not a human being and everything's okay. Right. It's like those commercials. But I wrote like a whole Facebook post about that. Like, are you having an awful day? Is everything completely terrible? Like you need Pop-Tarts in the tub. Pop-Tarts in the tub is an over-the-counter intervention that, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because like sometimes shit just sucks. Some days, like I hate my family. I hate myself. Everything is stupid. And like, you know, fuck the world. Like sometimes that's just the case. And like, that is okay. It doesn't mean anything is wrong with you. There'd probably be something wrong with you if that never happened. Right? Like that is weird that you never have a bad day. That's not normal. You should probably talk to someone about that. Like that's very strange. (laughs) And being more open about the bad days doesn't mean that you're less than. Totally. That you're, you know, totally. And that's what allows people to really be there for you because you let them be with you. Yeah. 100%. And like, I still struggle with that. Sometimes people will be like, you know, I'll catch up with friends and they're like, what's going on with you? And I'm like, let's talk about you. Cause like, I just yeah. don't want to. Right. But like, yeah. that's okay. Just because you can, yeah. doesn't mean you have to, but like, if you think no. you can't, that's something you got to look at. Yeah. Like that, that is shit that will eat you alive. Yeah. And like dumping, you talk a lot about boundaries, dumping all your shit on somebody isn't okay either. Like make yeah. sure they're okay uh, to hear all the shit before you dump it. Yeah. So. And like, I, I'll often ask my friends like, Hey, this is what I need. Do you have capacity for that right now? Yeah. Like, do you have bandwidth for that right now? And they I'm will say, yeah, they'll say like, yeah, definitely call me in 15 minutes. Like, let me get off this call and then let's talk. Or they'll say, I don't, who else can you ask? And then I'll ask someone, you know, I'll say like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to text so-and-so or whatever. Right. Yeah. Cause then like we get to just really honor each other and it's, and I still feel incredibly supported because I know that that's someone who will tell me the truth. Right. Yeah. They can be like, I love okay. you so much and I can't do this right now. And I'm like, awesome. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. The last thing I want is to be like spilling my heart out to someone who's like not even paying attention. Yeah, exactly. They still care about you though. They're, but yeah. to, you know, enough to be honest and be like, I can't right now. I got my own shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's good. We need more of that. Totally. (laughs) I totally agree. And that's one of the things that I really like about coaching too, is that like, I mean, I have like a bajillion coaches and like, I have a bajillion clients and like, I don't, I don't believe in asking my clients to do something that I'm not willing to do for myself. Right. Like if I'm going to, if I'm going to ask them to give fewer fucks, I need to give fewer fucks. If I'm going to ask them to be vulnerable, I need to be vulnerable. Right. Like I have to do the work or else I'm not a very good example for them. And it doesn't mean that like we have identical life experiences, but I'm never going to ask them to go deeper than I'm willing to go myself. Right. And so like I, I model that shit. And that's one of the things that I love about coaching, not just friendship is that like, I'm literally paying for someone to be that person for me. And like, I have that. It's the thing that's amazing about therapy is like, I get to give myself the gift of that time. That's just about me. I get to have that with my coaches. I get through mutual agreement to have that with my friends at certain times. And we, 
reciprocate for each other when it gets to be 100% about the other person and not about me, right? Like that, that's really important. And if you don't have that in your life, like I don't care what format works for you to get it, go fucking get it. Yes. Because you deserve to have that. Like you need a space where you can be witnessed. And if you don't have it with another person, like do it with yourself out loud alone in a room and then be your own witness and hear yourself saying that shit out loud because it makes a fucking difference. It really does. And it makes you feel less alone, even if you're literally alone while you're doing it. Get it out. Accept it that you're, this is what's going on. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Just someone was telling me the other day, I'm trying to, oh, it was my, my former client very good friend and current coach, Bryn Bamber. She is a somatic genius um, from Canada. And we had a coaching session and um, she was supporting me with some techniques I was trying to use with one of my clients. And I said, I really want to, you know, help, help this client get into her body, but I'm struggling a little bit with, with what are some like somatic techniques I can use here. And she offered me this phrase, which is brilliant. Truth telling is a somatic technique. Mm. And I thought that was so fascinating because it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier is that like when you when you tell yourself the truth, it does something in your body. And when you lie to yourself and when you push shit down, that does something in your body too, right? Like that's where all those illnesses come from, like we were talking about. And like the idea that simply telling the truth, whether to self or others, is a somatic technique, is a tool for your body. Like, even though I knew it, to hear her say it like that was like, it just totally blew me away. So even if it's just alone in your, your home, your room, your apartment, like your car before you go inside, like just saying the truth out loud will change your life if you do it on a regular basis. I hate this job. Like, (laughs) yeah, I've done that so many times. It's like, that is okay to say out loud. Yes. Like this sucks and it won't last forever, but it sure fucking feels like forever right now. Right. Like that is okay. 100%. And I saw you, you have some programs on your website too, that if, you know, any listeners wanted to reach out. So can you tell us about that real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple different ways to work with me. And then I also have like a ton of free shit that I offer people. So if you want to check out the free stuff, all of my podcast conversations that I've had, just like this one, are all linked on my website. Um, so those are in the like meet Kristen section. Um, there's also tons of articles that I've written in there, and there's a pretty robust blog. Um, I, I've been a writer for many, many years. So there's lots of resources on there. I also have a free email list. I mentioned earlier the Zero Fucks Gazette, and uh, you can subscribe from that right on my website. I have a free um, annual reflection workbook workbook that's available for download right now to like kind of help you think about this past year and what you want for the next year. And it's not like New Year's resolutions stuff. It's more like let's have a truth telling conversation with yourself stuff and all that's up there at no charge. And if you would like to go next level and work with me, you can work with me in a group setting. The next round of my group 100 Days to Fewer Fucks kicks off in February. And I'm not sure when this is going to air, but if you are hearing it in time and you register by December 31st, there are some early bird bonuses for registering for that group early. Um, One of them is a workshop I'll be doing in the first week in January called Fuck Resolutions, Write Your Manifesto. And that's only available to people who register early for the group. So that is one option. 
Um, and I also work with folks one-on-one. -on -one. Um, my program for that is six months, not 100 days, and it will change your fucking life in ways that you cannot even imagine. And so those are linked on my website as well. And I am just about to add an option to hire me for just a one-day intensive consultation on business stuff or life decisions. And so that's another option that hopefully by the time this conversation hits the rest of the world will be added to the website. But if it's not there, just use the contact form and email me and tell me you want it and we'll make it happen. <laughs> you can also find all my social links on there and everything. I, I do a ton, a ton, a ton of free content that's up right. on the site and through all my socials. But you should Sorry. hire me because I'm an awesome coach <laughs> and it's fine. <laughs> I've enjoyed this conversation so much and I really... I don't think we have time to dive into the re religious background. We should do I'm, that another time, though. We'll do like a part two. <laughs> yes, I am so curious, like, because religion has, has so much control over everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very That's curious. But, yeah. yeah. Hey, I, I would love to have another conversation about that. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yes. But you're you're a freaking badass. Um, oh, thank you. You're a leader. You know, you're someone who who women can really look up to. And and holy shit, like I've really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Me too. This has yeah. this has been an absolute blast. I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being on. And take care. <laughs>